Well, thank you for joining us here today at Livingstone's Church, either our church family in the Red Deer area or you're joining us from different parts of the world. Thank you for being with us today. Now, I just want to uh, open our hearts to the presence of the living God in our homes and let's just open our spirit to have him speak into our lives. And as I'm going to share uh, probably one of the more challenging messages from the book of Proverbs, just speaking the truth. Let's pray that God would search our hearts today and open up our lives and that truth would become part of the innermost fabric of our being. So Father, we pray today that you, Lord, would do a mighty work in our lives. And Father, as we allow your spirit to examine our hearts, you're the spirit of truth, Lord, and you're going to uh, do a mighty work in the innermost part of our being because out of the abundance of our heart, our mouths speak. And so, Father, I pray for a transforming work of grace in our hearts, Lord. Even as your word expresses to us, Lord, that, that Lord, you, we ask that you would not lead us into temptation, that you would deliver us from all the snares of the evil one. And, Lord, I pray, even today as we examine our hearts, Lord, I ask that you would help us to be honest with ourselves, honest with others, and Lord, I just pray that a work of transforming grace would begin to happen in our hearts. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Francis Schaeffer tells the story of an American composer by the name of John Gage, uh, Cage, who believed that the universe was impersonal by nature and that its origins were random and strictly by chance. And in a t an attempt to live consistently with his personal philosophy, Cage composed all of his music by various means, simply by chance. In other words, he created sounds by tossing coins and rolling dices to make sure that no personal element entered the final product. The result is that his music had no form, no structure, and for the most part, very little appeal. Though Cage's professional life, he tried to accurately reflect his belief in a universe that had no order, his personal life did not, especially his pastime in mycology, the collection of mushrooms. Because how many realized that the collection of the wrong mushroom had potential legal results? And he could not just approach these mushrooms strictly by accident. Concerning that, he once said, I became aware that if I approached mushrooms in the spirit of my chance operations, I would shortly die. Schaefer goes on to say, Cage is an example of a person who believes one thing, but suppresses the truth when he's faced with the certainty of an order in the universe, which in his mind was against his own way of looking at life. How many know that we often bend the truth to so often suit our own purposes? If you can recall back to the book in the beginning of the book of Genesis, it was a lie that forever tainted our world and introduced brokenness, separation, disease, and ultimately death into our world. Satan, the father of lies, deceived Eve and ultimately Adam and was a vehicle for the fall of humanity. And Jesus points back, points that out actually in John chapter 8 when he said that some people would rather believe a lie than embrace the truth. And in John chapter 8 and in verse 43 he said, 
what is my la- what is my language not clear to you or why is my language not clear to you because you are unable to hear what i say you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him and when he lies he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies wow talk about learning a language group lying is actually coming from satan himself he is the master liar and one of the great temptations in life is seen in this arena where people are deceived and being deceived by speaking lies rather than speaking the truth in cecilia bach's book lying moral choice in a public and private life she says a false person is not one merely who's wrong or mistaken or incorrect. No, it is one who is intentionally deceitful or treacherous or disloyal. Old Testament scholar David Hubbard says, lying is a deliberate, willful misuse of both the God-given power of speech and the God-ordained principle of neighbor love, which is the inevitable obligation of those made in the image of God. The most important human characteristic is that we are all, whatever, sex, race, age, status, or culture made like and for God. This monumental reality should bind us together in worship of God and respect for each other. Lying assaults this reality in both its divine and human dimensions. It is one of the most insidious byproducts of our fall in Adam. Honest speech, on the other hand, is an essential part of our commitment to be what the Creator meant for us to be reflectors of God's truthfulness and protectors of the life and reputation of his people. We recognize that lying, the problem with it is that it destroys trust. And once trust is destroyed, it becomes more difficult to believe what that person is now telling us. We begin to question, is this the truth or is this just another lie? Often the best liars are people who have lied so long unto themselves that they no longer can discern the truth from the lie and begin to think that the lies that they're sharing are now the truth. Here in the wisdom literature of Proverbs, we discover the power of speaking the truth and its value to our lives. So what do we learn about people who speak the truth? What outcomes happen when we become truth speakers? Are there occasions when speaking the truth may not be wisdom? In other words, sometimes the situation may call for us to be silent as the text teach in Proverbs that, you know, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And, you know, there's times when we recognize to speak the truth in this context will not make this situation better. So there are moments when we may refrain from speaking the truth but we're not suggesting at that time that we speak a lie. In the New Testament, we're admonished to speak the truth. You know, as I think about uh, the wisdom literature and how much of an impact it had, you know, on the life of Jesus as he is a wisdom teacher and the life of Paul and Peter, we see that Paul himself is shaped by this wisdom literature and he says things like this in the book of Ephesians, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. 
And then later on in that, uh, well, earlier in that chapter, Paul speaks of the nature of false teachers who are speaking lies in order to deceive others. And so he says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verse 14. Then we will be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In other words, these are false teachers who are trying to deceive by teaching what's not true. He says, rather, instead, speaking the truth. And now I want you to notice how important it's, it's actually, there's a modifier. Not only are we to speak the truth, but we're to speak it with a motivation of love in our lives. And when we do that, then we grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And so what does Proverbs have to say about speaking the truth, particularly as we're looking at Proverbs chapter 12? And so what I've done, and I've said this earlier, I'm looking at these chapters and trying to find a major theme in each chapter of the book of Proverbs. And there are three actual Proverbs here that really speak to the issue of speaking the truth. And the first thing that we can learn about speaking the truth is that it reveals the nature of our character. What is on the inside eventually comes to the outside. In Proverbs 12, 17, it says, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Now, our text here may be referring to a court of law, and the idea is to actually determine what is the truth. I like what Richard Clifford, Old Testament scholar, points out that the word that is translated witness here used in the Hebrew language is used six other times in the book of Proverbs, and it's all in somewhat relationship to the courts. But then he raises this important question. How can one evaluate the courtroom testimony? Is there a reliable way to determine which witness is telling the truth? And then he goes on to argue that the idea that this proverb is conveying is not just and solely for the courtroom, but rather refers to the person's normal manner of speaking. In other words, one should be able to examine how a witness speaks outside of a courtroom to look to the character of the witness. And that's why so often in court situations, one of the strategy is to try to discredit the credibility of the witness. Tremper Longman explains, the point may be summarized by saying, on the one hand, that wise person speaks words that reflects reality, and therefore their speech is just. On the other hand, false witnesses are fraudulent because their words skew the actual situation. So our credibility as a person is established based on what we say. And what we say flows from the condition of our innermost being. Now last year I was working on a thesis and I spent over a year writing this thesis and, and what my thesis was on was on communication from the book of Proverbs. And in it I argued that what we say is generally a reflection of who we are. And it's interesting that we're admonished to guard our hearts which in the Hebrew mind, speaks of the essence of our innermost being. And in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. 
But then in the very next proverb, it says this, keep your mouth free of a perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Now, I think there's two ideas that are being brought out here. One of them is that communication either corrupts the heart or is a revelation of what's in the heart. And so if we think about the fact that we should watch what we're saying because eventually what we say does impact what's happening within us. Derek Kidner, another Old Testament scholar, says superficial habits of talk react on the mind. In other words, cynical chatter, fashionable grumbles, you know, like we're mumbling and grumbling, flippancy, half-truths, barely meant in the first place, eventually harden into well-established habits of thought. So what he's basically saying is that you and I need to watch what we say, and that's why the psalmist praise this amazing prayer. He says, may the, meditation, may the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. So we need to watch what we are saying because it does affect what's inside of us, but also what's inside of us is reflected by what we say. And so it goes both ways. Be careful what you say because it might become a habit. How we respond to truthful communication is also an important concept. You know, when people speak into our lives the truth, how do we respond? And a lot of times, you know, uh, we, we hear words of correction. And especially, you know, I think about marriages. You know, maybe our spouse is saying something and pointing out something in our life that may at the moment seem painful, but it's a corrective in our life, or some of our friends may say that, or maybe it's a teacher that says it, whoever says it to us. How we respond to correction is very important because you see, wise people actually embrace correction while mockers and fools reject correction in their life. And we find that in here in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. Whoever corrects a mocker, what they're going to receive is insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Here's the place where sometimes you need to be silent in trying to correct some people. Some people you can't. They won't receive it. It says rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Instruct a righteous man and he will add to his learning. Now I think the man there is gender, gender neutral. The proper response to correction and criticism needs to be an openness on our part. Regardless if the criticism is warranted or not, the wise response is to evaluate to see if there's any merit in what is being stated. There needs to be an openness to instruction and correction, and then we can learn from it. The danger of immediately rejecting any instruction or any correction in any stage of life is warned about in Proverbs in the prologue and especially in a person's youthfulness. It's at that moment of life's course that we're being set. And it's imperative that especially young people be open to godly instruction and correction because if there's a rejection of it, it leads to a hardened heart. And the sages call such a person a mocker. And Dr. Walke uh, states this regarding the mockers and the scoffers. So full of themselves, they're contemptuous of others, that they will not humble themselves under any authority, not even under that of the Lord. And so we need to be careful that we don't get to that place where we no longer are teachable in our lives. Now the contrast between the mocker and the wise is made. 
The wise continue to grow wiser as they receive instructions, whereas the mocker's outcome in their life is alienation. They end up being isolated and alone in their lives. The second thing we can learn about speaking the truth is that it pleases God and others. Trustworthy or true words foster and help grow relationships. You know, there's something about speaking the truth. You know where you stand before God and before others. Proverbs 12, says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And the only trustworthy people are those who are speaking the truth. When we speak the truth, we are speak, we're behaving the way God does. For God only speaks the truth, and he is the only one that's absolutely trustworthy because he always speaks the truth. In Proverbs, these words are described by the picture of Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom's words are truthful, right, and they always produce good fruit. The Bible says here in Proverbs 8 that she's the one that's calling out to listeners to understand and gain from her words. She says, listen, I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. That's another word for what is true. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. Jewish scholar Michael V. Fox, not Michael J. Fox, but Michael V. Fox says, what wisdom speaks is truth. That Hebrew word is emet, which means uh, wisdom only speaks the truth and nothing else. The basic scene of truth are reliable and by extension true. It's axiomatic or self-evident or unquestionable in Proverbs that genuine intelligence is inherently and inevitably honest. Oh, I like that. Several descriptions are used to describe the contrast between those who speak wisely or truthfully and those who speak falsely or foolishly. The wise are described as honest witnesses. We've just read that in verse 17. And they speak the truth, which will have a lasting impression. We'll get to that in verse 19 a little later. The impact of the wise person's communication is that it brings healing in verse 18. In contrast, the false witness tells lies, and their lies are like a flash in the pan. They have no eternal endurance. The false witnesses use reckless words that cause pain, and they pierce like a sword. Truthfulness is not only critical in the public arena, but it's also critical in the interpersonal relationships and from every realm of life, home, and workplace. Proverbs 15, 4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Now, Proverbs 15, 14 is what they call an anthetical uh, parallelism. In other words, we're getting the opposites being jettapositioned against each other. There's a contrast being shown. When people communicate in a healthy way, they're speaking the truth. Truth usually brings health, whereas falsehood and deception creates devastation in relationships. The idea of right words to enhance relationships is also found in Proverbs chapter 25 in verse 11 where we see an analogy uh, given there. It says, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. 
Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. And obviously the opposite is also true. When, when people are wicked, their words are often deceptive and designed to bring destruction to those they speak to. And we find that in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 5. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. So we need to pay attention to who's giving us advice. We need to understand the character of that person. Is this a wise person or a foolish person? Is this an honest person or someone who's a deceptive person? It says the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. In other words, they have something in mind. They're gonna, it's going to be at the cost of the person. But the speech of the upright rescues them. So how does all of this apply to our lives? Isn't that a great question? So yes, I get the principle now. I, I see what Proverbs is teaching me, but how can this apply in my life? And let me go back to the thesis and why I even chose to write on uh, communications from the book of Proverbs. One of the reasons is that I work with people. And I'm constantly dealing with problem situations and relationships. I'm trying to help people get through those kinds of situations. And one of the thoughts, you know, and I'd, I'd read this and thought about it, and, and so a lot of like marriage therapists would say that one of the problems in marriages is communication difficulty. So I thought, well, hey, let's take a look at this. Let's break into this whole idea of communications and find out what is the real issue. And so in my research, I ran across a guy by the name of John Gottman. John Gottman is a researcher. He's a university professor from the University of Washington. He's done all these case studies on marriages. And he's got a a group of researchers that work with him there, and it's called the Marriage Clinic. And this is what he wrote. He says, unfortunately, in distressed marriages, the communication is often quite clear. It's not necessarily they're not communicating. What he says is, but it's quite hostile. And I have, I have seen that over the years working with couples who are upset with each other. They can get very hostile. And yes, they are communicating. So improved clarity, he says, does little to help distressed couples. So it's not so much that we give them techniques on how to communicate more clearly and better and be understood. That's not necessarily uh, the problem that needs to be addressed. That's just, you know maybe a symptom of something far deeper. And as he continued on his research, he said something that was so interesting. He said, in classifying the discussions of these couples' major areas of continued disagreement, Gottman and his team of researchers found that over two-thirds of them uh, found that 69% of the time they were talking about a perpetual problem that they had had in their marriage for many, many years. These were the problems that usually had to do with differences in personality or needs that were fundamental to their core definition of self. And then he goes on to say, um, only 31% of the discussions involved situationally specific problem solving. And then we discovered that instead of solving these perpetual problems, what seemed to be important is whether or not a couple can establish such a dialogue with their perpetual problems. In other words, could they learn to accept and love each other for who they were? If they cannot establish such a dialogue, 
the conflict becomes gridlocked and gridlocked conflict eventually leads to emotional disengagement. And that's, that's been my observation over th- uh, almost 40 years as a pastor. I've noticed that this is exactly what's happening, that people become wounded in the words that they're speaking. They begin to protect themselves and pretty soon to protect their, their souls from any more damage. This is not just in marriage. This is in relationships. We, we harden our heart to protect ourselves and we eventually disengage with the person who we feel is wounding us. So what Gottman is basically trying to point out is there needs to be an understanding, first of all, of the unique differences that we have with other people and learning to accept those differences. And when we ignore this, it means that conflict continues until there's so much emotional pain that people emotionally withdraw from each other. So I think it's, incredi- it's critical that when we're talking to people that we show emotional empathy and yet remain truthful in our conversation. So why I'm saying all of that is to say it, it begins to support what Paul is telling us, that we need to speak the truth in a thoughtful, empathetic, and loving way. And what is true in the most intimate of relationships is also true in our other relationships, parent to child, child to parent, co-workers, all of these things, we could have healthier relationships. Well, the final thing we can learn about speaking the truth is that it endures. Truth is timeless. And therefore, there's nothing to expose. Eventually, you'll discover that what is the truth becomes the reality. That's the way it is. So often, the reason we live in bondage in our lives is that either we're believing a lie about God or we're believing a lie about ourselves or about others. And we live in that state. We, have, we don't have the truth. And what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, a lot of people see God as being harsh and cruel and, and unfair and all kinds of things because they look at life and they decide that if life is like this, God must be like that. And so they interpret it the wrong way. But here's what I want to point out to you, that God is a very loving being. And God, and I was reading this when I was studying yesterday in just my devotional time, it says, you know, God in his creative works and God in his redemptive works are, both of those avenues are motivated and inspired by his love. So I could easily declare that the love, the love of the Lord endures forever. And we need to understand that God is love. And once we get that in our minds, we have an understanding that God is for us and not against us. It changes the way we interpret circumstantial things in life. The other thing uh, is that we don't always have the truth about ourselves. Many times we've heard so much messaging, maybe growing up, that we were useless or whatever the messaging came into our lives. But I want to just declare to us, if we're a child of God today, we need to reprogram that messaging and find out what God has to say about us. And what God says about us is that we're his beloved children. And what a powerful message that is. That's the truth. And when we begin to believe what God says about ourselves, it changes the way we see things. Excuse me. Proverbs 12, 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. That word, uh, a lying tongue lasts only a moment. That moment there, literally in the Hebrew language, is like a flash. It, it's... Temporal, very temporal. Now, it, it's not so much temporal in the sense that it, it's just here and gone. It's, what it means is it's impermanent. It doesn't last 
for eternity. Truth will last for all of eternity. And many times, lies do have great damage and they can affect people for even a lifetime. And that's the problem with lies. They can be hidden, but eventually they will be exposed as a lie. And so I was kind of researching a little bit about people who had been in, in history's greatest injustices where lies were believed that created problems in people's lives. And I started reading about some of the people who had been falsely accused of a crime, had either been incarcerated for a long duration or had even been punished by death. And later on in history, they've been exonerated or people realize that what was said was wrong and they were actually innocent. How tragic is that? But yet the truth eventually came out. And so I was reading an article or a story from the Smithsonian Magazine of a man by the name of Ricky Jackson who was falsely accused of a murder he did not commit and was, had served 39 years in prison. He went to prison at 18. Can you imagine that? 39 years of his life until the lie was finally exposed and he was exonerated and released. And so it says in 2011, a Cleveland magazine published an article about the frail nature of his conviction and the implausibility of the testimony that had condemned him. Actually, he wasn't even at the place where they said he, where the murder had, had actually happened. He, had, he was actually somewhere else. But uh, because of that story in 2011, in that magazine, there was uh, a pastor. Uh, among the readers was uh, a young... Eddie, Eddie Vernon was his name. He was the young boy that he felt coerced by the prosecuting attorney and the police to finger uh, Ricky Jackson as the criminal. And so he had lived with this lie for 39 years. Can you imagine? And when that whole story came to the forefront, he admitted to his pastor, who now arranged a meeting between Vernon and his lawyers with the Ohio Innocent Project, and he rescinded his 1975 testimony as he said that, you know, this, this wasn't what was really that ha had happened. And so Eddie Vernon met with Jackson and, the, and these other two gentlemen who were also incarcerated as a result of that. And he apologized and asked to be forgiven. And Jackson forgave him. And he said, you know, just think, this goofy little 12-year-old kid told such a whopper. That's what Jackson reported to the paper. But it wasn't only Vernon who put us there. It was the lawyers, the police, the whole broken system. And there are a lot of innocent people out there who will never get to get justice. And in that sense, he said, I feel lucky. So we know that eventually lies are exposed. But when our hearts are being transformed by God's grace, that's the great need in our lives. We need to have truth in the innermost parts of our being. We need to realize that words are powerful. Proverbs, another proverb says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And Jesus warns us that what we are saying has an impact on our eternal well-being. And in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, it says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. So let us speak truthful words because we know lying destroys relationships. Cecilia Bach in her book points out trust and integrity are precious resources easily squandered 
and hard to regain. They can thrive only on a foundation of respect for veracity or truth. When we lie, we destroy trust and our integrity is questioned. We are no longer integrated, which is the idea behind integrity because the root word there, it means to be made whole. And when we're lying, what we're doing is tearing ourselves apart rather than walking in wholeness. God desires to integrate our lives. And I love what the psalmist prays. Lord, create truth in the innermost part. That was part of David's penitential psalm, Psalm 51. Create, I desire truth in the inmost part of my being. And I think that's such an amazing prayer in our lives. If we can say, God, I desire to have truth in my innermost part. Because that's where wholeness comes into our lives. You know, this idea of being integrated is the idea of being made whole. And being made whole is also synonymous with the idea of being made holy. And the only way we're going to get healthy and whole and holy is when truth is now created in our innermost being. Now just think about Jesus for a minute. The Bible says he was full of what? Grace and truth. So God desires to do that work in our life. James reminds us regarding being Uh, when we are doubting, when we should be trusting God. He talks about being double-minded, which creates tremendous instability in our life. He said, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Wow, think about it. So if if we allow falsehood to begin to reign in our lives and we begin to speak what's untrue, we develop an instability in our lives. And we can see a lot of people today. You know, one of the ways to become a stable person is to learn to tell the truth. And how many know when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said? Because if you're lying, you got to keep remembering the lies you're telling in order not to get caught. And so it's a lot simpler just to be a truth teller. Speaking the truth reveals who we are. It speaks to our character. Speaking the truth enriches my relationships with the people around me. Speaking the truth actually creates an amazing eternal situation. It's enduring. It's going to last. And it begins by having God's work of grace come into our hearts. The problem with lying is that it causes self-deception and bondage in our lives and costs us our relationships. So what are we praying will happen today in our lives? I believe we need to have a greater awareness of the need to be honest with ourselves. And then we need to be honest with God and honest with others. And I believe as you and I, you know, begin to experience the truth. Listen to what Jesus, he gives us an amazing promise in John chapter 8. And you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I'm going to have a stand as we close the service and prayer today. And my prayer is that God will empower us to have our hearts, to have truth created in our innermost parts of our being. And that God would do such a profound work in our life that it would affect us. That we would, you know, and, and I, I bring this up because a lot of times we don't always see what's happening in our lives. 
We can be blinded to parts of our lives. You know, that's what the psalmist prays. Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. I remember years ago I was reading this uh, book, and they were explaining the nature of what we know about ourselves and what others know about ourselves, others know about us, and what we know about ourselves and what others don't. And then there's a part of us that nobody knows, and even we don't. Only God knows. And that's why this is so important that we would pray and say, God, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And if there's not truth in the innermost parts, we're going to have all kinds of problems in our lives. And so I think it would be wise on our part to say, Lord, I want to be a truth speaker. I want to have truth residing in the innermost part of my being. I want to be whole on the inside, not just fragmented and broken. I want a work of grace to happen. And so let's pray to that end. So Father, I just thank you this morning that your word is teaching us how to live in a practical way in wisdom, in righteousness, in goodness. And Father, we recognize that when we speak the truth, it helps fashion something inside of us it creates wholeness within us. It's part of the development and the facilitation of our character. Lord, it helps us build meaningful, healthy, significant interpersonal relationships. And Lord, truth is what endures forever. It's an amazing foundation to build our life upon. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when you came, you said you were the way. You are the truth. As a matter of fact, you said you came to testify. Your purpose in coming was to testify of the truth. And Lord, I pray today that we will be people of truth and not people of lies. Lord, we don't want to speak the native language of the devil, which is the language of lies. So I pray that you would unite our heart to fear your name. That you would create a unity in our innermost being that we would be truth seekers and truth speakers. Father, I pray today for those who may be inquiring and wondering, you know, I'm really curious as to who Jesus is. Lord, as we come to know you, something profound will happen in our life, something supernatural, something that we cannot do for ourselves. You can change our broken heart. You can change our sin-filled heart. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're closing the service today, you know, there's going to be a reminder that if you like to learn more about the Christian faith, please click to that link and let us know. And we'd be happy to talk to you either about what was shared today or even more about how to get to know the one who is the truth. His name is Jesus. God bless you as you leave today.